I was uh, going to start out. As you can see, we have a Yellowstone Trail sign. And I'm just kind of curious, is there anyone, if you could raise your hand, how many of you have seen these signs? One, two, several of you have. All right, well, this sign happens to be just outside of uh, the Northern Hotel. So actually, this not one there, but there is one there that's outside of the hotel. And when I started this uh, PowerPoint, I wanted to think about when were the first cars that were on our country's roads? Oh my, stuck in the mud, continued in throughout the 19th century, the roads were in an atrocious sea of mud, even after the slightest sprinkle. Now, are any of you familiar with gumbo? Uh-huh. Gumbo was defined as an unusually sticky and plastic clay. And when it was dry, of course, the roads were very dusty. And you can see that um, the, the cabs of the cars were not very dust-free. So this is a picture that I thought was interesting. Uh, Horatio Nelson Jackson, and he was a former bicyclist he has a dog riding shotgun, and he was a retired doctor looking to collect a $50 bar bet. And he embarked on America's first cross-country road trip. So the Yellowstone Trail was a good long road. And as this program goes, I'm only going to hit some very high spots. I have some books that I got information from. Um, this one is called On the Road to the Yellowstone. It was by Harold Meeks. It's a very good book. It's got a lot of information about how the meetings were held and a lot of politics in it. This one is called The Yellowstone Trail, The First Years. This is an excellent book because it has a lot of pictures about uh, Reed Point and Laurel and even East Rosebud and later on today my husband's going to be giving a talk on Fred Abnett and he's even in this book so I thought that was good. Uh, this is a book that is written by John Ridge and his wife Alice and it has very good information as well. One other thing that I wanted to point out this is the magazine that is um, produced by the Yellowstone Trail Association. And it has a really interesting story in it that I don't have time to share with you, but it's about J.T. Dowling, who was an officer in the association. But it says that he built the Yellowstone Trail without hands or feet. So sometime you might want to read that one. Oops, wrong way here. Got to turn this the right way. Okay, the Yellowstone Trail was one of the America's first transcontinental automobile routes. It was born in the Northern Plains in a small town by small town people. It is not the most famous route, but it does give us some early highway history. Public funds were not available for 
uh, improvements at this time. And thoughts, of course, were that if we could just get more traffic, we could get more funding. <clears throat> Privately promoted routes, stimulated traffic, and of course, you also know the Lincoln Highway was the most famous route from New York to San Francisco. Now, this picture kind of gives us an idea of the isolation in the rural community. Um, here it shows that um, farmers had to transport their products in the West at least an average of 23 miles. And imagine that when the roads weren't good and it was wet. <laughs> so um, it was really an important thing that we get some work with roads. This is a timeline that kind of gives you some idea of how things happened. Uh, the Cumberland Road was the first, of course, it was 620 miles long and gave a connection between the Potomac and the Ohio Rivers. It was called the Gateway to the West. Then we have down at the bottom, uh, 1882, the city of Billings was established. And one other important thing I need to mention is that in 1880, the League of American Wheelmen, because they're very important, in the association with uh, good roads. So we have the first real uh, gas-powered car, Carl Benz, and then we go down to the bicyclists. Look how many, four million, really? Uh, then we have some other cars, the Packard, Oldsmobile, Cadillac, and the American Automobile Association, AAA. And the Yellowstone County had their first car in 1904. This is a view of the League of American Women. And this is a parade that was on Riverside Drive. And this picture came from the Harper's Weekly Magazine. As you notice, the members were all dressed in uniform and they ride their bicycles as seen from the horizon. The League of American White Women was formed in 1880 after the invention of the bicycle in order to coordinate the cycling activities and represent cyclists' interests to the government and society. The thing about the bicycles were that they were owned by rich people and it kind of had a lot to do with the upper levels of society because you know, the farmers didn't have bicycles and they kind of um, looked down on the people with bikes. But the bicyclists were out to help them because, of course, in the cities, there were roads where the bicyclemen could ride. The roads were, the streets were fairly good, but they needed places to ride, so they really um, emphasized ways that we could get better roads which would serve the farmers and make it easier to get across to market, families to church and children to schools. And then by 1900, there are over 100 organizations that are promoting good roads. I thought that was amazing to me that that early. And then there were six national organizations and the most important of those was the National Good Roads Association, formed in 1901. 
They're all interested in road improvements, and we're trying to bring pressure on the local governments and even the federal government to do something. And the bicyclists were so effective that the railroads got involved because the railroads knew that, you know, if we get better roads, then the farmers can bring more products quicker. And so they carried free of charge demonstration road building equipment. And they also provided information on how to build a good road, good construction. And all in the idea that they would benefit, of course. Here are a couple pictures of Good Roads movement groups, uh, Good Roads train party. And, but in spite of the Good Roads trains, uh, Good Roads associations, the wheelmen, and dozens of congregational bills, federal aid was slowly coming. And this is a picture of Henry Ford's Model T from 1908. And this is a picture of a Maxwell mascot turning from Lionel and Renee has a story about this one. <laughs> well, this was the first car that came to Billings and Earl Morris became an agent for the Maxwell car and it only cost $1,400. But with his sale, he had to teach the new owners how to drive. Well, when Preston Moss bought his car, Morris forgot to tell him how to stop the car. So the Mosses took their family out on a drive from Division Street down to the courthouse. And Mr. Moss had to, <clears throat> Mr. Moss had to circle the courthouse three times before he could summon up Mr. Morris to jump in and stop the car. <laughs> So Mrs. Moss was the first woman to drive, and Mr. Moss was the first person to have an accident with his car. So while driving his family near Hesper, he got stuck in the mud. Tires were smoothed in and chains hadn't been invented yet. The engine boiled over as he tried to work the car free, and when he unscrewed the radiator cap, the water sprayed all through him. So that was the first accident. This is a picture of a 1904 Studebaker. It was the oldest existing gasoline-powered Studebaker. And because the cars became so fancy and classic, people were more enthusiastic about uh, their personal transportation, of course, which led to more good roads, more demand for the good roads, sorry. This is another Studebaker, um, exceptionally rugged and reliable. Notice the price, 885 bucks. Okay, by 1912, we have 356,000 automobiles. And, of course, the, by 1915, they had reached a sales of about a million. But still, the government uh, was supporting the railroads through federal land grants. So the country is totally prepared for the automobile, unprepared, sorry, for the automobile. Now this is a picture of <clears throat> the roads going nowhere. Actually, it comes from Wyoming, but this is the problem that Joseph Parmalee had. He thought that 
<clears throat> the road between Ipswich and Aberdeen should be better than it was. 26 miles of mud every time it rained, 26 miles of ruts in the dry times. In winter, just forget it and hook up the sleigh. He knew that an organization was needed to select promising roads and to connect them in the next county or township. And in May 23, 1912, Joe Parmalee and Marcus Beebe and others were convinced that they had no one to rely on but themselves. So they got the organization of road enthusiasms, enthusiasts that were on their way to Yellowstone Park. This is a sociability run, and you can see that there are about 60 cars involved in this picture. It was a two-day event held in June of 1912. They were formed to examine the road, to test endurance of cars, and to inaugurate anything in communities that needed inauguration. So it was a time, a good time. And this kind of reminds us now of how the um, motorcycle clubs, car clubs, snowmobile clubs, when they get together and they go on runs all together. So in October 9th of 1912, a meeting was held in Lemon, South Dakota, and they believed that a coalition of small towns would succeed in getting one long road. So by the time, the end of 1912, they had 100 miles of a single road that actually went somewhere. And during this association, all the members were expected to push hard on their local governments, newspapers and neighbors, to support the road. And they wanted the towns to join in the effort um, because they thought the publicity and the fortune and the tourists would, would come if they did that. Here's how they um, kept the road in shape. Parmalee's drag, 75 cents. <laughs> and of course, the, the little picture on the right there shows how they used uh, tractors and so forth. The first annual convention was held February 17th in Miles City. And during this time, they wanted to establish uh, a map route along the roads from uh, you know, Twin Cities to Yellowstone Park. They wanted to advocate for good roads by undertaking construction and repair. They teach construction and urge financial support. Um, they wanted to attract and motivate tourist traffic and improve the, the image of the towns and promote a vision of a nation wide with roads. And this was really important because it was, I thought it was unique that these men had a vision of coast to coast highway. I think that's pretty remarkable for this time. And this is a picture of 1914 when they selected their uniform symbol. All right, this one is Hunter's Hot Springs. And I put this picture in mainly because I was amazed at the size of the hotel there. 
And so last night I Googled hot, hot hot springs and I found out that this particular hotel was built in 1909. It was 450 feet long and had room for 300 guests. It had heat, electric lights, and phones in all the rooms. And so it was a pretty amazing place. My husband uh, remembers in 1957, they went swimming there as a family. And at that time, um, of course, I forgot to mention that this hotel burned in 1932. And so um, in the 1940s, 48, a lady bought it and they built a glass hut and a lunchroom over the hot springs. And that uh, was there until it blew over in about 1974 or so. So, pretty interesting place. Uh, the Yellowstone Trail uh, was growing, of course. And you see here the Federal Aid Road Act was enacted in 1916. It was the first federal highway funding legislation in the United States. There was one problem with it. It did not demand that the roads that they improved connected with each other. So here's more about the development of the timeline. Um, sociability run a formation new association. Here we have the first convention. Um, the second annual convention at Hunter's Hot Springs was in April 14. And then we go down to 1917. The Yellowstone Trail was pretty complete. I put this in because I wanted to read to you what it says about the Yellowstone Trail. The best long road in the world, the best route from the Twin Cities to Seattle, affords the most comfortable, long summer drive known to man. The climate is most bracing. Hotel and garage accommodations are unexcelled. Water is always needed for your engine. The scenery is most delightful. <laughs> and before 1915, this is how um, people went through the park. And the concessionaires were really reluctant to have cars in the park because they made a lot of money off of the tourists that came in by train. Of course, they were the rich people, and they liked to take them through the park in these stagecoaches. And of course, the roads were better for wagons and horses. So um, the roads in the park were not really suitable for motor travel. And it was hard because the horses were scared of cars and they didn't want to have a problem with the horses and the cars. However, August 1st, 1915, first car arrives at Old Faithful Lodge. You can see on the left there the first car passing through the Roosevelt Arch. And I put this picture in for the gals who are going to follow me with their KOA presentation. I thought this was good because the automobile revolutionized the Americans' vacation. They liked the outdoors. 
Okay, by 1917, of course, uh, the trail reached across the nation from Plymouth Rock to Puget Sound. And on this slide, we have to think about World War One and what effect this had on the association. Actually, it didn't um, have any effect with them at all. They um, <clears throat> were able to benefit because the rail lines were very congested with all of the traffic for the war. And it really brought to the forefront the need for better roads. And this is kind of when the long-distance trucking uh, industry started, is because they had to rely on the trucks for their um, moving their products. And kind of another interesting um, fact was I read that at the end of the war in 1919, the federal government had a surplus of 22,710 vehicles. And so this, the, all, most of these were trucks, and so it led to the explosion of highway building. And this is really an important picture because we talk about the Lincoln Highway, and you can see there the comparison between the Yellowstone Trail and the Lincoln Highway. And in 1916, the Yellowstone Trail Association challenged the Lincoln Highway Association to an ocean-to-ocean -ocean race. They wanted to demonstrate the superiority of the Yellowstone Trail. The challenge was not accepted because the Lincoln people had already made a run in 138 and a half hours, over 3,384 miles, averaging 24.4 miles per hour. And you might notice that the Yellowstone Trail is 400 miles longer. Here's the picture of the Yellowstone Trail. It was a hard surface road um, from New York to San Francisco, and it was promoted by people using private and corporate donations. So it was built a little differently than Yellowstone Trail. And in this one, it shows that um, the interest, they, of course, Yellowstone Trail wanted to prove that they were a better road than the Lincoln Highway. And so they had an interest in military necessity. So Parmley asked the War Department if they were interested in an experiment dispatching a mammoth on a, a, an official test. And in this um, race, of course, um, the Lincoln, I'm sorry, the Yellowstone Trail people finished it in 121 hours, and they averaged 30.3 miles per hour. So they really rocked it. They also said that they had 24 hours of rain and mud in South Dakota. Okay. All right, now we have another story for you. Now, here's a prime example of a trail. It's an effort to promote the spur roads side trips. The first year, 
The book called Splendid Laterals. One of the most celebrated became the magnificent lateral from Columbus to Rosebud Lake, Woodbine Falls, and the Beartooth National Forest. So on July 4th, an auto race was established, and the idea, according to the Columbus Trail representative and the newspaper editor, was to show how good the road was from Columbus to Absorke. Now, the county agreed to close the road to all good race traffic for one hour. Step on from Step on John Calhoun with a rebuilt valley was the local favorite, but he would face off competition from Seaborn Benbow, the Stillwater Speaking, in his hubmobile. Four other cars were also entered from surrounding counties. Now, 20 cars would patrol the road to assist in the event of an accident. Now, crowds lined the block over the roadway for better viewing. Now, the race began in Absorke, and it finished in the Yellowstone River. All went well at first. Bob Westward broke from the line in a big Packard and was going on a marvelous clip when the oil pipe broke. Clean Morrison, also a village, then took over in his sense, their cap. Ivan Lutz was right behind in a case until he suffered a blowout on Shane Brick and tore through a fence with a broken wheel. Johnny Colquhoun, the favorite, drifted across the course between 60 and 70 miles an hour and looked primed to win until he swerved off the bridge and punctured a tire. By the race end, all but one car failed the course. The race was deemed triumphant, and despite the wreck of five of the six cars, the accident was only minor injuries and provided the road could handle the average of 60 miles per hour, making the trip only in 14 minutes. Ironically, the car that won turned out to not even be official entry. Rather than miss a golf game in Billings, Morrison got into a sits and car fish uh, and confessed he simply took off after the other vehicles to, to avoid the delay of the car closure. <laughs> so he just did not collect the prize winner, but he proved that the road was sound. Okay, looks like my time is getting toward the end here, so I'm going to skip on to um, where the trail is here in Billings and in Montana, so I'll just skip kind of through this. And we'll get down here to the causes of the slow death of the Yellowstone Trail. There's numerous ones. It had a lot to do with the federal government numbering the highways. And that had... So here we are driving the trail in Montana. And... Oops. Better go back a little bit here. Don't know how this works. And here we are in Billings. You can see that it starts on Fry Road and um, goes through Billings. This is another, oops, wrong thing. Here we are with a picture from 1932. You can see up there where it comes in through Bench Boulevard and down through uh, First Avenue. This is uh, travel straight through. This is where the first sign starts. And it's at the entrance of Bench Boulevard, um, located out in the Heights. 
and we want to, of course, thank the city of Billings for installing the science course. They wanted it done right, so that's why they wanted those up. This is kind of an interesting picture. Anybody recognize this building? Here it was in about 1915. This is the, you see the Yellowstone Trail sign underneath the Westover garage. And this is on First Avenue North. And here we are, right down here by the Northern. So you turn um, down here and go to First Avenue South. And cross the tracks, and then we go out towards Laurel. Wanted to recognize John and Alice Rich, who were huge in um, yeah, um, signing all of the places Yellowstone Trail, especially in Wisconsin, but they keep on. And they have um, started an interpretive sign, which is out at the Laurel Chamber of Commerce. And Yellowstone Historic School Society is working to see where we can put place one of these signs of our own. So, I guess that concludes my uh, presentation. I'm sorry I had to skip some, but I got a little bit wordy, I guess. So, okay. <laughs>